You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Thinking sideways. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey there, this is Steve. Joined by... Oh, Devin. And Joe. And you slap us in this steamy hot little room, and what do you get? You got Thinking Sideways, the podcast. Yeah. Because we're in a little room, and we're melting right now. It's really hot. It is hot. And we go to great lengths to make sure that the sound quality of our podcast is high. Which, which means no fans. Yeah. Yeah. No AC. I, I literally cannot read the text in front of me on the paper because I'm kind of sweating on it. Mm. It's kind of a gross thing. Yeah, it's super my gross. My eyes are sweating. <laughs> Your eyes? Your eyes are sweating? Is yeah. that like the man version of crying? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, everybody, uh, I know we've done this before, and we decided, uh, based on some, some listeners' suggestions, that we were going to do another show of shorts, because we've got a number of stories that 
don't quite flush out to a full one, so we decided we'd just bring them all together and make one big show out also of it. Also because mm. we're all wearing shorts. All right, well, let's uh, let's get into the first of our stories today, okay. which I guess somehow I got voted to go first. Yeah, so what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the crew of the Sarah Joe. Oh, okay. Uh, the Sarah Joe is a, is a story that starts in Hana, Hawaii, which is, I believe, is on the, is on, Ma- it's in Maui County, but I couldn't mm. figure out if that was actually on the island of Maui or not. Did you not just I, like Google Maps? I did something? Google Map it, but Google Map wouldn't say this island's name is Maui. It was really and, being a jerk. And you don't, okay. Yeah, I don't know how to yeah. use maps. All I know is that uh. you know it's, it's on the windward side of Maui, mm-hmm. the westward side. Yeah. Oh, yep. he's using Bodhi talk. Yeah. yeah. Bodhi talk exactly. So oh. the story starts on February eleventh, nineteen seventy nine. Okay. We've got five local men. They're they're construction workers. They've been working on a friend's house who is one of the five, and they decide you know, we just need to take a break and we're going to take a fishing trip for the day. These five men, their names are Peter Hanshet, Benjamin Kalama, and I'm going to do my best with this, Ralph Malakayakini, Scott I Mormon. I think it's uh, Malayakini. It might be Malayakini. Yeah. I'm not sure. And the lastly, the last gentleman on here would be Patrick Wozner. Okay. Uh, they all set sail for this trip. They borrowed a 17-foot Boston whaler, which had the name the Sarah Joe, thus the name of the story, the crew of the Sarah Joe. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, it's first thing in the morning, we're going to take off. And they leave first thing in the morning. Weather's nice. Weather's fine. They leave. Nobody really worries about it. Except that afternoon, the seas, the weather gets a little nasty. The seas start to get rough. And by that evening, it's a terrible storm has hit the island to the point that a brother of one of the men who was on the boat said that it was the roughest that he had ever seen the sea in that area get. So it turns out going fishing wasn't such a hot idea. No, it it, it wasn't the best idea. Why didn't they just check like Yahoo Weather or something? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In 1979? Yeah, what? Yeah, no? exactly. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, according to this guy, that the swells were forty feet wow. and breaking at the crest, and the winds were more than forty miles an hour. That's bad seas, man. Yeah. That's huge seas, especially sure. when you're in a seventeen foot boat. I kind of wonder why they didn't just head right in when things started to kind of turn and the wind picked up. Well, well oh, uh, um, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think we've talked about this fairly recently. That it turns out that one of the safer places to be in bad weather is at sea. Obviously, mm-hmm. like... Not in a tiny boat, though. Not in a tiny boat, but if your choice is, you know, you've kind of missed your window. Yeah. Right? I mean, Maybe yeah. you're, like, too far out. If your choice is stay at sea and try and ride it out or try and make a super dangerous docking mm-hmm. to get off this boat, you're probably just going to decide, well, we'll just see if we can't ride out these waves mm-hmm. yeah. instead of having know, no idea that this is not the worst of it, but it's yeah. going to get worse. Yeah. Exa- yeah. That's yeah. exactly the point. A- everybody starts getting concerned. Uh, so we've got Peter Hanchette. He's one of the guys that was on the boat. His mm-hmm. father, John got concerned and decided, even though this weather was terrible to go out and look for him. And he was joined by a gentleman by 
by a marine biologist in the area named John Naughton, I believe is how you pronounce yeah. his name, yeah. and Captain Jim Cushman, who was uh, with the Coast Guard, the U.S. Coast Guard, mm. and these two actually came in, they came in by, I believe it was the third day that the boat had been missing, so sure. it wasn't that they all went out right away, but over time, these people joined the search. Mm. No trace was ever found of the Sarah Joe in way, those searches. By the way, they did they did also search by plane, et cetera, correct? They did. They they yeah. sent out planes. I think they looked for about a week or two. The accounts mm-hmm. vary in the reporting that I found. But they were, I mean, it's a huge area. Yeah. And the seas are, are pretty quick moving in that area. So it ex- where you're going to look kind of expands really fast. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, I mean, you know, again, it's like you're lost at sea, right? It's not like... If you get lost in the wilderness, people can, you know, like find traces of you because you've like bumped into a tree or like you're leaving tracks behind you. Mm-hmm. Or you're, you're leaving you, piles of poop. Yeah, piles of poop yeah. or like fire and camp debris. Like this is the sea. It moves so quickly. Like, you know, Steve was just saying, you know, it's not like you're going to just miraculously find like some pieces of the boat just just floating wherever. I mean, you know, it's. So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, the sea, it's harder. <laughs> yeah. Trace, I always think, oh, yeah, because there's no, you know, fire or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's, there's yeah. no obvious signs left on the surface, right. I think, is where we're headed with this. Yeah, I mean, you know, they can sink without a trace. Yeah. And so nobody found any sign of them. Yeah. Now we step forward 10 years later. It's 1989. Mm-hmm. And... If you remember uh, John Naughton, yeah. he was one of the guys. The in marine the reg- biologist. Yes, the yeah. marine biologist. He was on a wildlife expedition on an atoll, which is called, and you're going to have to help me out here if I butcher this, Tongi or Tongi? I think it's Tongi. Tongi? Tongi, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Well, it, this atoll, which is part of the Marshall Islands, is 200 miles, nope. 2,000 miles <laughs> west of Hawaii, which it, to kind of give people a scale for in, in the global scheme of things, mm-hmm. if you look at Hawaii and then you go west, it's halfway between Hawaii and New Guinea and the Philippines, which is it's a long ways. A so long kind ways of in away. The it's yeah. yeah. And it's an itty bitty atoll. It's really small. And I'll get into some of it's the descriptions a of it. With some sand on it. Basically. It that's what yeah. an atoll like is. Like a sandbar, yeah. 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 Um, well, Naughton discovered a boat on the island. It was a small boat, and he was kind of confused, and he checked it out, and then he saw the registration number, and he recognized that it was registered in Hawaii. Mm. And several fr- several feet from the boat, he found, and again, this is where the accounts vary a little bit, he found either A, a grave marked with heaped stones with a cross made out of driftwood, mm-hmm. or a shallow grave. In either case, he found in that either sticking out, sticking out somewhere from it, a jawbone. Like a human jawbone. A human jawbone. Huh. Yes. And the Coast Guard got involved because there was a body, part of a body anyway, and they and figured out. And it could out, be traced to Hawaii, right? Right. It's so not they, that the Coast Guard just is like, ah, oh, yeah. there's body parts I, on an island. In some island I, I, in the middle of the Pacific yeah. Ocean, yeah. yeah. I think the boat had a registration number or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. and he right, and, and you know, yeah. it's it's kind of like every state has a certain way of making your license plate numbers. Right, right, right. Well, he recognized the registration number being a Hawaii mm. number. Yeah. Right. I'm so guessing the, it um, means it starts with H-I, but... So I know he didn't dig up the grave, 
But he did he grab the jawbone and take it back with him, or did he See, leave it? I, I couldn't I find that was if kind of he unclear. picked it up and brought it back with him, or if somebody else came out and collected it and figured it mm-hmm. out. Like the Coast Guard came y- out. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, obviously the Coast Guard, like we said, got involved, and they figured out that through the dental records that the jawbone belonged to Scott Mormon. Which oh. was one of the five of the men that were missing on the Sarah Joe. And the registration, was that? It was the Sarah Joe. So here's the, here's the, I mean, this is one of many weird bits. So the jawbone and the boat being there are not weird enough. Mm-hmm. But here's another weird bit. It's entirely possible, based on the currents of the ocean, that over the course of three months, a boat could drift from Hawaii to the Marshall Islands. The problem is, however, is that there was a government survey of the islands previous to this discovery, and that that was done in about 1983. And, and when, that was the government of what? The Marshall Islands? Uh, yeah. Oh. And the Marshall Islands, oh gosh, who owns, who is it that it's registered under, I want to say it's the French, but that is absolutely wrong. But they, they went there and they did a survey because they check out wildlife and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in 1983, which would be four years after the Sarah Joe disappeared. Mm-hmm. There's no boat there. They didn't record that there was a boat there. Mm-hmm. So after that time frame, the boat mysteriously came aboard and mysteriously this body was buried on the on the atoll, mm-hmm. which is just doesn't make any sense because well, it's, it's a weird amount of time. Uh, it's conceivable though, because I mean, um, it may be that the body and the boat were sort of washed ashore, but they got covered by sands, and then later on, weather and waves and and wind uncovered them again. That's true. And it is an somebody, atoll. Yeah, and then some somebody came along and buried the body and put a cross up there. Yeah. Yeah, so it's possible. It's also possible that these guys who were actually being paid to survey the islands were actually sort of took, you know, did some shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And didn't go to every single one of the one of them if they were supposed to, and, and just sort of and made that's, some that's stuff a good up. point because this particular atoll is the northmost atoll of the uh, Marshall Islands. So mm-hmm. it's the farthest north of the group. So it may have been that during the survey, they were running a little behind. And they and just said, let's just make some stuff you up. You know, huh? nobody's going to know that we didn't go there. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's just call it good. Yeah. Sure, yeah. That, that yeah I, I don't know me. that that's really the case. Yeah. But this has led a lot of people to, to try and figure out, well, what happened to the crew and how did the boat get here? Right. Mm-hmm. And... The theories that I found, there's there's not a lot, but there's a couple. And the first one is, well, it's kind of Scooby-Doo hinky. Uh-huh. That's, that's my best way to describe this. Okay. And I found this on a blog, and this is the only place that ever said... I found this, but we'll just go ahead and run with it. Yeah. Is the, the theory is that, A, the, the crew survived the storm... But for whatever reason, their boat was incapacitated. Mm. So they're just floating at sea. And they're found by another vessel that happens to be pirates. Arr. So we're going with pirates here. All right. Okay. A confrontation ensues. And at some point, Mormon is killed. And his body is left on the boat. And then the other crew members are taken off of the boat 
and they just they just leave the boat. I'm guessing the idea was to scuttle it and let it sink to hide the evidence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Easier to just throw the body and let the body sink. Well, and the other thing is, if I'm a pirate, why would I scuttle a perfectly good boat that I could scrape all of the registration off and then resell? Because mm-hmm. the value is not in the people. It's in the boat. Yeah, they had yeah. nothing useful on them except for some beers. Yeah. Yeah. They could actually keep it for a, for a tender for their boat, although they'd have to rename it. Because can you see Sarah Joe pirates, you know? I mean, seriously? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it didn't seem like a very no. pirate-themed name. No. no. Uh, well, that's, that's the first theory that we've got. Okay. The second theory is that everybody went somewhere. So run with me here with this. I this, don't know. This is, this is part one. This theory is kind of, kind of splits off. So this is part one of the everybody else went somewhere. So Mormon stayed with the boat and everybody else left mysteriously. Okay. There's a lot of theories trying to explain why the boat and Mormon, like I said, ended up on the island. Sure. Okay. Well... If we think about the storm that was reported, Mm -hmm. this massive, massive storm in this itsy-bitsy boat, for all intents and purposes, a tiny boat in a Mm -hmm. giant storm, it's quite possible that through the swells, people were getting washed off the boat. Mm -hmm. So it could be that Mormon... Odysseus style (laughs) ties himself to the boat. Yeah. Probably if the boat flipped over, that'd be a good idea. Well, he ties himself to the boat thinking everybody else has been washed overboard and I don't want to go overboard because these kind of, this Boston whaler, it doesn't have, uh, what's the the term, Joe, when you've got an enclosed uh, cabin? It's got an enclosed cabin. That's the exact word. Yeah, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. just an open boat. It's an open boat. So he may have tied himself on thinking, well, if a big wave hits, at least it won't knock me overboard. These boats, I I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but the Boston Whalers, they're reported to be virtually unsinkable. Mm -hmm. The gimmick has always been for the company that makes the Boston Whalers, they will take a saw to their boat. I think it was in the 60s, the guy who started the company took a, a big saw, cut the boat in half, and then motored the back half and towed the front half behind him because they're, they're built with a styrofoam hull with fiberglass around them. Mm-hmm. So they will float regardless. So he might have known this and said, well, the boat's not going to go down. I'm just going to hang on for dear life. Yeah. Yeah. He would have had to, too. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so let's just say that he did that. I guess, yeah, they'll float regardless. Anything will float regardless unless, like, literally it's just filled with water. mm Mm-hmm. You know, which a 40-foot swell would do. It would swamp a boat. Because, you know, this is, uh, having looked at pictures now, it is literally just, like, the hull of a boat. It's Mm -hmm. not, there's... Just not, it's just, it's a windshield or a windscreen yep, and, and a steering wheel and open boat. Yeah. yeah. That's all these 17 footers are. So I can imagine if they were in 40, 40 foot swells that it could have taken on a whole buttload of water and just. And washed a couple of guys over yeah. and in desperation, what do I do? I'm going to strap myself in. Cause it's better to go down with the ship. Well, you know the ship's probably not going to go probably down if you know down. about the boats. So They're gonna, know, it might go probably. to the water level, but it won't go all the way under. It right. You can sink. always get over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so buoyant. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we've got that. The theory then runs that he dies. 
whether that is Mormon dies from an injury that he sustained when the boat's being flipped around or he's tossed around or what it might be, or he survives the storm, but then dies of dehydration or starvation. He tied himself too well. He's tied, he's tied to the boat. He's now, he's now permanently with Mm -hmm. a boat that he can't get off of. Which was a great idea when there was a storm. Yep. But maybe not so great after the fact, regardless He stays with the ship. The body stays with the ship and it floats and runs aground on this atoll. At that point, somebody else before Naughton finds the boat and they find the body. And out of respect, they bury the body. And there's actually a little bit of evidence that adds some credibility to that theory all the reports say that when they found the body or found the jawbone and they started digging in the grave, they also found three quarter inch by three quarter inch strips of paper with foil on top of paper. So it was a stack of paper, foil, paper, foil, so on. So it's a stack of these. This is evidently something that is done in a Chinese burial ritual, Mm. and that's to represent money and fortune in the next life. So people have theorized that it might have been some guys who were from China fishing in the area illegally. They find the boat, they find the body, they bury it, they leave this bit of a token as a custom to ferry him into the next life with good fortune, but they don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. because they're there illegally. And the last thing I want to do is report that I found this body when, oh, by the way, I shouldn't have been here in the first place. Oh. Is that the case? I, I don't know, but that's what folks have theorized. And I tried to find information about this supposed burial ritual. I found a lot of stuff that talks about there's the Chinese tradition where you burn effigies of things that you own in honor of your uh, ancestors. So if you've ever been to like, I've been to Chinatowns where you go into a store and it's paper cars and paper TVs and paper dresses and all these things, they're effigies that you burn in respect to your ancestors Because your ancestor doesn't want you to actually burn the real thing because that would be a waste of money. But to burn these things in respect for them to help them in the next life. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if if that's what it was, but they say that that's what was found with the body. So lend some credence. Interesting. That is part one of this theory. Part two diverges a little bit. Part two says that Mormon wasn't the only one who survived and made it to the atoll on the Marshall Islands. This version says that at least one other person from the crew would have survived and that they both made it to the Marshall Islands and tried to live there shipwrecked until they could be rescued. The the issue is that this atoll, if anybody wants to take the time to look this up on Google Earth, it's not a pleasant place. Mm -hmm. It's extremely arid. There's vegetation, but it's nothing that you would want to really eat. I mean, it's grasses and some bushes, but not yeah, no, food no stuff. trees how, shade And how either. far is it from the closest, <clears throat> next closest island? It's a couple, I, well, it's, it's like 100 or 300 miles from the next atoll. 
But that's the thing. It's a series of atolls. And then there's open ocean and then more atolls. And an atoll, for anybody who doesn't know, is literally a coral reef that is built up high enough to catch sand. And then it creates an atoll, typically will create a lagoon in the center. So this thing is kind of a, a D shape. And the boat hit on the right-hand curve of the D, and that's where they found it, because that's where the majority of the sand is at. Mm. That's a... Okay, yeah. I it, was, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe this person could have, like, escaped down the atolls to the Marshall Islands, which are inhabited and have some sort of society and... But this is, this know, is food. very far away. But, yeah, that's a, that's a huge distance to travel. Yeah, and here's... here's okay, so te- technically speaking, you could possibly survive if you were living on this atoll. How what, what's the distance to the net, the very next door atoll though? We're talking well, that's miles. What we're yeah, that's I, 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 it's know. over a hundred miles if I remember oh, okay. correctly. I don't have the number written down, okay. but I know it's it's a dis, it's a, it's not like you could swim there in a day. Yeah. in shark infested waters because they're mm-hmm. literally it's shark infested waters. Yeah. yeah, but you could live on the island. Sort of off of the vegetation. Well, or there's fish. A ton, well, there's fish. There's a ton of migratory birds that come mm-hmm. through there. Crabs. So you, crabs. So you can get protein. Right. But the problem is water. Mm. 40 inches of annual rainfall on this atoll. So that's not a lot of water. If you got something to catch the water, that's great. Mm-hmm. But if you're just trying to live off of it pooled up, you are jacked. You're out of luck. Yeah. You're, you're completely out of luck. Yeah. There's no yeah. way to make that happen. Actually, when the, when the boat was the boat smashed when they found it. It doesn't say. I know it wasn't in good condition, but it doesn't say what condition the boat was in. I know that one of the the family members has the boat now, and they have it as a bit of a memorial, mm. and they. I mean, because it's it's been the it was seventy nine, eighty nine, ninety nine. So we're at the thirty five year mark. So yeah. they just did a memorial at the thirty five year mark. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't know that the boat is seaworthy mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of being able to actually go out and motor around mm-hmm. in it. I just thought that'd make a nice water basin. <laughs> Have the boats clean the boat out, set it out there to catch rainwater. Mm. I'm gonna guess it probably had holes in it, mm-hmm. and it's probably too big for one man to drag on his own. Mm-hmm. Maybe two could do it, but we—we, we, I mean, we've we've gone pretty far into the the conditions on this atoll. But the theory is is that Mormon dies, mm. and then this other person, through some means, decides to get out of there. My friend has died. All my other friends are dead. I got to get off of this place. Mm-hmm. He just swam out to somehow, sea and committed suicide, and somehow tries to swim away to. Tr- find something closer mm. for whatever reason. Well, he obviously tied some sea turtles together. Exactly. That's, that's what idea. I would do. Because yeah. sea turtles are the best. Whoa, dude! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly it. No. Obviously. Yeah, some um, dolphins came by and rescued him. Yeah, but I mean, the problem with the theory is how, how would this person, other than swimming, mm. try to leave? Because it seems like a foolish venture if... To, to try and swim hundreds of miles or a hundred miles. Again, you, I don't think you could see the other atolls. Right, mm-hmm. but I guess it um, a little matters like how banged up the boat was slash how much of the boat they found. Like if it had been cracked in two, he could have like, you know, makeshift paddled this boat 
out since uh, apparently they float mm-hmm. if they're you know cut into three pieces even yeah. you know at you you find a stick or something that will allow you to paddle and you just say well you know i i can't see another island but i can't live here so i'm just gonna take my chances and paddle on out but mm. well the, the hard part is and what we don't know is did Whoever survived, if there was this other survivor, mm. I, I would think if I was going to go on the open sea on a itsy bitsy piece of styrofoam and try and paddle my way away, I'd want to have supplies as in water. Yeah. So is there anything that they had to hold water? Because if you just go out on the uh, and paddle out on the ocean within five hours, you're done. Well, it kind of depends on what was left in the boat. Like say for, they, they went out with at least one cooler. Mm-hmm. And if they had to have the forethought to strap it into the boat, then, you know, and it didn't get lost in the storm, then the cooler could actually hold water. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have had other things like balers on board. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's, 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 there's theoretically there's things that could have held water, but the, the problem boat. is there's not standing fresh water yeah. for you to collect. I guess the yeah. other thing is, like, you do dumb things to survive sometimes. Yeah. Like, humans are great at making decisions in survival mode, mm-hmm. and oftentimes they're just super stupid decisions. They're really bad, So, yeah. like, right, you've just watched your friend die, you're super dehydrated, you're malnourished, you think, well... Can't live here. Don't have any fresh water, but better go out again. You know, you're well, not. If you're that desperate, you know, you'd do anything. But, right. I mean, and there's, there are, by the way, there 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 are ways. To, if you have if you have the proper materials, there are ways to desalinate water and purify water. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, plastic. Yeah, clear plastic sheet does mm-hmm. the trick every time. You know, and yep. So, and it's a it's a drip system. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's really but, easy to do if you but, have a, if you're lucky enough to have some plastic sheeting. Which yes, they may or may not have had. Yeah, right. Which, yeah, I guess something you collected in. Th- this doesn't address like the first theory that, of course, popped into my head was uh, aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're laughing but seriously like okay so if we if they really didn't find it when they did that geographic survey right? so you're you're using the time lag mm-hmm. okay yeah mm-hmm. the, so they, like, they went they through a wormhole and then yeah okay something weird happened and then they popped out or you know a little bit of it dropped out you know they seem to have disappeared for a really long time is it possible that this survey crew just didn't hit that at all sure but is it also possible that, like, there was some kind of time lapse and they just weren't there? Also, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it who is... knows? Who's what? To, who's to say that, like, they I didn't can't say that's not possible. another island in between? Surely there are more islands in between Hawaii and these atolls. Who's to say they didn't hit another island, stayed there for as long as possible, and then, then realize, crap, we can't live here anymore, mm-hmm. or oh. decided, oh, we are going to live here, but our friend Mormon is dead, so let's give him a sea burial, send him out to sea. I mean, there, it's this is one of those ones, right, where there's, like, so little information that mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. a multitude of crazy And that's, that's the oh, hard part. Is it, yeah. All we know is they disappeared mm-hmm. on that day, yeah. and 10 years later, the boat and a buried body was found. Was yeah. it a full buried body? Well, or and was it just the found, job not, all, not all the bones were actually in the grave. Yeah, I, I didn't get the impression that the entire body was there. The impression I had was the only thing was there was a jawbone. Which but would I be, could be wrong. Well, I, I had heard that uh, somebody else later on found a bunch of bones, like vertebrae and stuff, like not in the grave, uh. but like down by the water, in the rocks, you know, near the water or something weird. like that. It's so weird. So. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all these, there's a lot of weird, conflicting stuff. And there's the problem with this, 
is there's been a lot of interpreted writing about this story, as in people are taking liberties with it. And I know people take liberties with stories that we report that we talk about all the time. Sure. But these people have turned it more into the story of the Sarah Joe. Mm. And so they've, you know, they write, this is what the crew did, and this is what they were feeling, and on and on and on. Um, it's it's like that movie. They dramatized it, in other yeah, words. Yeah. It's, well, it's like the movie, what is it? The, the Greatest Storm? The Yeah, Perfect Storm. The perfect storm. Yeah, yeah they, they don't know exactly what yeah, happened. Yeah, but somebody went ahead and dra- is dramatizing mm. it on their blog or on their free writing space, and then that gets mixed in. Right. Mm, what course. we really know is boat disappeared, boat found, jawbone found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, other than the, the fact that, okay, well, if truly it was found with this paper foil system, I could see that that being a plausible explanation, but I have no idea what happened to the rest of the crew, nor what happened in the ensuing prior 10 years. Right. Well, assuming that they um, all five survived the storm and they found themselves, up, obviously they must have been out of fuel or maybe their engine crapped out, so they mm-hmm. couldn't get back to Hawaii. So they were adrift for a long time. And, of course, you know, some of them might have been injured. Somebody, um, I, I, assuming one, one or another would have died from mm-hmm. dehydration. And what, what do you do? You can either eat him, you know, which is not to happen, or more likely they just pushed him overboard and get him a burial at sea, because you can't have a rotting corpse in your boat. No. Uh, <clears throat> that will kill you faster than yeah. anything else. Yeah, and so, and that might have been the case, that they kept dying off and getting thrown in the sea. Only one guy was left, and he died of eventually, and just, you know, spent years after that drifting in the boat, or months at least. Mm-hmm. And like Devin said, he could have gotten stuck on some other atoll for a while before being broken loose and sent onward, And but yeah. I, I I can't believe that they made it to any island. Uh, yeah, you know. no, it's very it's amazing yeah. that they made land anywhere. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, because boats drift for years and years and years and they never come aground. Maybe so. who knows? Maybe he actually circled the world a couple of times. Who the hell knows? It's possible. This is such a good segue into my boat story. We should probably start on your boat story because really we've run mine into the ground. No pun intended. Uh... Yeah, the boat ends up on an island. Yeah, my mine also it's, you know, a boat on an island that it a boat shouldn't be on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to jump right into mine. Okay. Cool with you guys. So, we're going to talk about Bouvet Island. It's literally the most middle of nowhere you can be. It's widely touted as the most Obsolete, not obsolete. What's the word I'm looking for? Isolated. Uh, isolated, out yeah. of the way. Out Place the I way. would never want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's... that's actually Southeast Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> it's um um 1,400 miles south southwest of uh, the tip of South Africa, and about 1,100 miles north of Antarctica. So it's in the Arctic Circle, but it's just. I mean, it's so far away from everything. Yeah, uh, truly. It, there's there's really nothing around. There's it. There's nothing yeah. around it. Yeah, it's not a garden um, spot. It's totally inhospitable to life. About 19 square miles large. 93 percent of it is a glacier. Again, totally inhospitable to life. And as is the case with many tiny tiny islands, apparently uh, they're super popular. <laughs> yeah. So this island was first sighted. I'm just going to give you guys a little history to like inform yeah. where we're going with this. Um, the island was first sighted on January 1st, 1739 by Jean-Baptiste Charles Bouvet de Lozier. 
Is that how you would say that? Sure. Great. Um, my, my French is really good. He, the, the island was later named for him. Unfortunately, this guy, you know, it was January 1st. He was probably super hungover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Wasn't great at uh, accurately recording things because he wrote down the wrong coordinates and mm. effectively lost the island until 1808. Well, <laughs> it, losing an island? Well, I mean, I lose my keys all the time. <laughs> but it was lost. I lost uh, an island. The island, it's super tiny, lost right? Lost knowledge. It's, it's so tiny and so out of the way. It's, it's not true. even like there's an island like right close to it, right? Like, like we were just talking about with the atolls. They're within 300 miles of each other, right? This, actually... Far away from everything, yeah. Yeah, this, this is like a fun little bit thompson island was said to have been close by quote unquote it didn't ever give like any kind of nautical nautical miles or anything like that but as it turns out that was just a, a phantom island it was it was never a, an actual island <laughs> mm-hmm. they were like yeah. yeah there's an island close to it kind of it's called thompson island it's it's another mystery in and of itself the fact that like four or five different people said yeah there's an island over there and it just never really existed, it turns out. So True. we'll talk about that maybe some other day. Some other day. So okay. in 1808, British whaler named James Lindsay spotted Bouvet Island and, you know, named it after himself. Like you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was called Lindsay Island for a while. And then in 1825, George Norris claimed the island for the British crown and named it Liverpool Island. Liverpool! Ah, yeah. Later. Like, why are <laughs> My favorite-shaped pool. Why yeah. are these people getting so excited about this island, I wonder? I, well, that's it, right? Somehow, super popular island. That's not the end of the history of it. Later, in 1927, Norway decided, oh, actually, that's our island, because we're really close in proximity to it somehow. Yeah. Uh, so they landed on it and declared it was the dependency, and they renamed it after the original finder dude, Bouvet. Okay. <laughs> finder dude? Is that a technical it term? It is the technical finder term. Finder dude, yeah. Finder okay. dude. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So in uh, 1971, it became a nature preserve, although I'm not 100% sure what they're preserving. I think ice, maybe. Yeah, I think there are... Seals um, and sea think, lions. Yeah, sea lions and they have, like I'm that. sorry, they call them sea elephants. Yeah. Okay. In every, literally every account I read of this, they talked about the sea elephants, mm. and I had to Google it what sea elephants were. And to I figure out it was a sea lion. I think it's sea lions. Yeah, yeah. sea lions. But apparently other people call them sea elephants. Somewhere between 1955 and 1958, some volcanic activity or maybe a landslide created a brand new ice-free rocky part of Bouvet Island, and it included a small lake or lagoon. Yeah, they lagoon. always call it to a lagoon. They always, yeah. yeah. It's, kind of interesting. it's like the atolls. They always call them a lagoon. Mm-hmm. But I, I a lagoon is... I guess if it's a body of water inside an island, then it's, you know... I tend I to guess think a lagoon, that a lagoon is attached to the outer, to the ocean. So it's kind of like a harbor. Yeah, and this was hard to kind of... I guess, suss out. I looked at some drawings that expeditions had done, um, particularly pertaining to this little new bit and the mapping of it, and I couldn't get a really, really good sense of if it was a landlocked lake or a lagoon that, like, fed into the ocean. Mm -hmm. So that, again, is information to keep in your mind as we talk about this story, because it drastically changes how weird the story is. Well, and there's, 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 
maybe I'm jumping ahead mm. and if I am tell me, but I remember seeing the photo and I didn't I never saw an outlet of the lagoon. Well, uh, and it's, but it depends on what angle that photo was taken from because it's my impression that it was taken from a boat as they left the island. Oh. So okay. it was from... Okay, yeah, and I don't want to get too far ahead. Yeah, but, so... Yeah. And, and actually, I don't know if anybody's ever gone for a wade through the lagoon. It's not that big, and nobody even knows it could be six inches deep. I mean, uh, it, it could just be a big puddle. Well, uh, actually, we'll get to that. Yeah. So... This is an ice-free area of Bouvet Island, and as we previously... Uh, for now. For, well, for now. Well, actually, um, as we discussed, 93% of it is great glacier. This is the 7% that is not. And a geologic survey expedition that went there measured the ground temperature, stuck a thermometer into the ground. It is 77 degrees Fahrenheit. That so ground. it's volcanic. It's Super hot for so, that area. That's yeah. That's super warm. Uh, for ground in general, I think seventy-seven degrees is pretty yeah, freaking warm. warm. That's volcanic activity. But I don't know. I'm pretty yeah. sure I could stick a thermometer in the in the front yard right now, and it'd be close. Sure, but for a place that's ninety-three percent glacier. Oh yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's not glacier. That was in nineteen seventy-eight that that measurement was taken. So mm-hmm. you can assume that that is the the cooled version of the area that we're about to talk about or have been talking about. Again, accounts vary, but in 1964, either a helicopter or a British naval ship set out to explore this little bit of land because Norway owns it now. Mm -hmm. So, of course, Mm -hmm. the British Navy took an extra big interest in it again. Politics are hard to tell with tiny little places like this. I was thinking that it was... uh... That was a Norwegian ship or something like that that mm-hmm. had a helicopter pad and a helicopter. And they, no, it they was chopped. British. Yeah, I was it for British? For sure. I, that's the one thing I am sure of okay. <laughs> in this story is that it was British. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so they choppered over. They, they, ex- they go to explore this little bit of land. Um, they took some scientific measurements. Um, and remember, this little bit of land is 10 years old at the time. They, they take scientific measurements. They, you know, kind of take a look around. Oh, and also they find a life raft in the middle of the newly formed lagoon. Mm. Uh, well, not a life raft, but actually a dinghy or boat. Yeah, like it's a, a life raft, like an old-timey boat. life raft. Yeah. Wooden. And from the map that I looked at, and again, I'm not saying with 100% certainty that this is how it is, but it looked like it was cut off from the ocean with scree which is what they call, call um, jagged rocks. Mm-hmm. So a man by the name of Alan Crawford was a part of this expedition and wrote a book about it, and he described the site. Uh, Joe, would you? Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe's my, like, go-to uh, okay. reader. Narrator. Yeah. Mm. What trauma, we wondered, was attached to this strange discovery? There were no markings to identify its origin or nationality. I'm gonna do with dude, I'm gonna do away with the dumb accent. <laughs> uh, on the rocks, a hundred yards away, was a forty-four gallon drum and a pair of oars, with pieces of wood and a copper flotation or buoyancy tank opened out flat for some purpose. Thinking castaways might have landed, we made a brief search but found no human remains. So puzzled, understandably, the expedition snaps a photo of the boat with uh, an elephant seal close by. Another reason why they might have been in a rush to get out of there. And headed off because their window of time to leave this island was limited because the weather is so bad. Um, In fact, this expedition had to sit at sea for like five days because the weather was so bad that they couldn't land. And their entire expedition 
accounted for 45 minutes. Yeah. They yeah. were on the island for, for 45, 45 minutes, minutes, if yeah. I remember correctly. So that, mm-hmm. that's not a very thorough investigation. Uh, not really, no. It's not. If you can stick with us, the mystery deepens a little bit. In 1966, two years later, you know, give or take a couple months, Mm -hmm. another expedition made its way to Bouvet Island, this time allowing much more time for study. They were really interested in that new area and how it had formed and why it was remaining glacier-free. And they spent a lot of time looking at the lagoon as well because they thought, oh, this is inhospitable kind of area. It's subarctic, and we're really interested in what kind of life thrives in subarctic temperatures. They did a lot of measurements in the lagoon, talked about the different types of algae that had flourished there despite the cold, but never once mentioned the fact that there was a lifeboat in there or oars or anything else on the shore around the lagoon, which Mm -hmm. leads many people to believe that two months later, the lifeboat, oars, buoyancy devices, whatever, were all gone. Mm Mm-hmm. That was only two months later? Two years. Or two years Two later? years. Okay, okay. I, was, yeah. I was about to ask what the two months oh, was. Oh, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Two now, years. Now, can I, can I ask something to clarify? Because I didn't understand in the description. Is the buoyancy tank laid out flat? Yeah, Does that mean up. somebody took a... It was a copper tank and they, they hammered it Cut flat? Cut it open and hammered it flat. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. Uh, and I wish that that picture was better. There's just the one picture, That's right? a pretty crude picture. It's yeah. a pretty crude picture. But so you can see the lifeboat and an elephant seal, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but you can't I thought, see I, really... At first I thought the seal was the tank until mm-hmm. I realized it was a seal. I felt really dumb. Yeah. yeah. Like but, who made an elephant, a seal shaped tank? Yeah. There's none of the other, you can't see the stuff that, that was apparently on the uh, shore. Okay. And so that for me is like a big, I, I can explain away what happened there if it's, a la- like kind of like just an inlet lagoon that opens up into the sea <laughs> and has just a boat floating in it, right? But if it's a landlocked lagoon, uh-huh. this is a much larger mystery a to bit. me, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, but, well, yeah. I mean, I don't even understand why somebody would take a tank and hammer it flat. That's a lot of friggin' effort. But mm-hmm. I don't know if we're if if I'm jumping ahead here, but. I mean, okay, I can see somebody taking the time and effort to drag a boat in. I can see him dragging their oars in. But cutting in half or mashing flat a copper tank is just a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I unless... have a, a theory. Okay. Okay. And, and I don't know, are we there at theories yet? We or... are at theories, okay. but we're not at that theory oh, yet. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's a, that's fine. I like jumping around in my story. <laughs> I have, I think, four theories that I'm going to go through. Okay. One, the first one, the most romantic one, is that there was an actual shipwreck and there was an actual lifeboat that happened to find this island uh-huh. and there were survivors that tried to live on the island and perished. Of course, of course, their skeletons were never found. Of course, you know, who knows? Maybe the sea elephants dragged them into the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, there's, there's, no, there's no structures in terms of land mass that's of any kind that you could use for protection from the weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when your bones rot away, mm-hmm. you, they blow around. Yeah. yeah, they probably would. And i got to tell you, that's, uh, that latitude is 54 degrees south. 
which is what so, we call the Furious 50s. Yeah, it's yeah, seriously ripping winds. Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually been to that latitude. It's uh, Ushuaia, Argentina, which I spent several days in. is It's almost the exact same latitude. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the summertime, it's pretty warm and nice. It's not as inhospitable as you would think at yeah. that latitude, but the wind is ferocious. Yeah, so yeah. And there, there are a lot of problems I have with this theory, right? I, and granted, you know, the tank pounded flat. It speaks of kind of a desperation that you want to attribute to people trying to save their lives. But there, was, there were no skeletons found. There were no signs of camp. There were no signs of attempt forages. There's no signs of, like, you know, somebody trying to kill a sea elephant or well, anything like that. Well, there, there's, nothing on, there's nothing there to burn besides the boat. Mm-hmm. So there's no, going to be no signs of fire. Mm-hmm. The if you kill one of those sea elephants, good luck because they're, <laughs> they're massive. Yeah, but okay, let's say you steal a pup. Well, they're you know their bones are about the size of yours, and if these are ripping winds with massive waves, at mm-hmm. some point I can see that all being washed away. I don't see a, what other signs of quote unquote camp there would be. Yeah. Well, there can't be like campfires, for example. There's nothing on this island to burn. No, it's so, ice it's, and so. rock. So here's my number one complaint with this whole thing is that anybody well in my mind anybody who's in a survival situation particularly with a lifeboat like this knows that the way that you survive that situation is you pull that lifeboat up on shore and you make it your shelter Mm -hmm. there are numerous very well documented cases of people Mm -hmm. surviving for months well, what like makes you very think, extended amounts of time. What in makes this you think boat. he didn't do that? Well, but that's oh, right. Okay, so yeah. and again, that's where it, you know comes in. Like it depends on were there waves hitting this shore, well, <laughs> or is this like a fairly calm lagoon kind of area? The wind, is, believe me, the wind down there is strong enough to take a boat like that and knock it over and push it around. Right, yeah, but so you assume so. that if if they're using this as shelter, they found a way to secure it. Yeah, probably. He's probably piling rocks around it and such. But eventually, mm-hmm. when they're gone, you know, the wind works it loose and flips, sure. it, flips it around, pushes it around. You know, sure. and then eventually they but you would see those away. rocks. The, the piles of rocks? Yeah. yeah, probably. But they might have looked fairly random. They wouldn't have been right up against the boat by that point in time. Well, let me, let me, I mean, I, I know I'm jumping off the track here, That's but. Okay. Okay, so the the island was quote unquote first officially discovered in the early 1700s, mm-hmm. and there were whalers in that area for a couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. So, wouldn't it be possible to to follow your "I'm going to use the boat as my shelter" theory to say that, but let's say before this this fallout area became this this uh, slide area happened that maybe somebody had been using their boat as a shelter on the ice and then died there. And then when the ice crumbled because of this slush out, mm-hmm. the boat was left behind and everything else was buried because the boat is big enough. It would bounce on top of the, this landslide. It's light, light things always kind of get pushed to the top. So, I don't know if a wooden boat is light compared to several ton rock. Fair. It's the lightest thing. I suppose. Of the bunch. I suppose it's possible. So you're thinking how far back? I don't know. 1700s, 1800s. Yeah. At some point, some poor schlub gets stuck on the island, mm-hmm. like this theory is running with. But mm-hmm. let's say I'm saying it's pre this area becoming established. And then when it all sloughs out, 
the, you know, it breaks away from the ice or whatever. I don't know. I'm spitballing here. Mm-hmm. So it could be older than people are trying to establish it as having come about. Well, not necessarily that old, though, because uh, they also he also noted the presence of a 44-gallon drum, which is, you know, not something you're going to have. Oh, that's, oh, no, yeah. you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I'm... I hadn't. I forgot about that bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm just. I'm just trying to, yeah. as everybody is, with grasping at straws right. for the little bit that we've got. Here. Right. Yeah. So the other thing that I, you know, I think about when I think about this, like drum that's metal that's been pounded out, I think of somebody in the, you know, kind of mid '60s, early '70s. There's planes flying around, maybe. Mm-hmm. Trying to use it as an SOS signal like a of some kind, or like a, a giant I, reflector. Yeah, of I wondered some about kind. that. Uh-huh. That's a possibility. I I can see that, sure, but it's it's not my favorite theory. Nah. It's a theory, but it's not a favorite theory. Um, another theory is the lifeboat just kind of lost at sea. You know, yeah, torn off a boat. Torn off a boat, just randomly happened to find this lagoon. Although, of course, that doesn't explain the oars and all that stuff on the shore. And also the highly improbability, and this is the other thing that I didn't really talk about with that first one, it's, like, we lost this island for a real long time. You know, it's so remote that it seems really unlikely that somebody would just luckily happen upon it in a life-threatening situation. Mm, or no, Seems unlikely. Or an unmanned boat would just happened to wash into this lagoon, well, right? it's got to wash but, up but somewhere. The crap in the ocean floats up onto places all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so. mean, it happens. It's it's random happenstance, but it still happens. It does. It's just, it washes up on places that are like huge land masses, by and large. I mean, you know, every once in a while you'll see a, a you know, sand bar that's got a bunch of stuff washed up mm-hmm. on it. But really, that's because the tides wash it you know they pass right through there this is not a place that is known or recognized as a high traffic area by any means and the tides don't run through mm-hmm. there to deposit it's not like, stuff yeah it's not like you know the western seaboard tides run through and deposit a bunch of stuff because this is it's a lone incident mm-hmm. so you know the the odds of some like sad souls on a lifeboat and life-threatening mm. situation washing or up an unmanned here, lifeboat, or yeah. an unmanned lifeboat seem fairly low. And again, I come back to the whole, I can't a hundred percent tell because I've looked at the Google earth images of this place and I can't see a lagoon of any kind. I saw the lagoon on the Google, on the you Google did? image search. Yeah, but and it's, I couldn't, it's pretty small. And I couldn't tell if it was, if it's landlocked or attached to the sea in any way. Uh, if I was looking at the right lagoon, yeah, and that's uh, the then other it was thing. not attached to the sea. Well, no. And the yeah. other problem is it's, it, I don't remember when, but it was only fairly recently that they got the first full aerial photo of the entire island mm-hmm. without clouds. Yeah. Because it is always socked in at some portion of it mm-hmm. with clouds. Yeah. Just because that's the way the weather is in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the next theory, the third theory, is my favorite theory. It's that it's the remains of a fairly undocumented landing party that did an expedition to this island or landed on this island, mm-hmm. whichever. Could be. Um, so, you know, the theory goes that a landing party used their lifeboats to dock in, right? Which you kind of would if you had lifeboats like this. Yeah. There's a, a high possibility that you could reattach them to your ship. Of course, yeah. That's fine. You know, yeah. well, and uh, a current 
kind of commercial ships don't have that capability. Once you abandon ship, you've abandoned ship. Mm-hmm. But there used to be, and I think as late as like the 80s and 90s, and maybe still today, there are ships that you could, you know, like send a docking party out or a landing party out in your smaller ships. Yeah, in your small boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, you know, they're tenders. Right. What they are. So, yeah, that's what yeah. whaling ships used to yeah. do all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, exactly. So they would be tenders. I would and think that, in, you know, in recent, you know, I guess actually, no, this was back in the early 60s. I was going to mm-hmm. say they would be using Zodiacs, but I keep forgetting. Yeah, it was back in like early 60s. Yeah. So uh, wooden boat. the theory okay. goes that a landing party of whaling ships from wherever went by the island and thought, ah, there's an island. Let's go check it out. Dropped two ships, two boats, excuse me, landed. One of them got a little bit ruined in the landing party. They went around, you know, they explored, they they realized there was nothing really there and then decided, well, this one, this, this boat is damaged. So we'll just leave it here and we'll all pile back into this other boat, Mm -hmm. go back to the ship and be on our merry way. Sure. I like this theory for a number of reasons. One, (laughs) It explains how the boat got there. Yeah. It explains why it's there. It explains why there's no sign of camp or anything like that. I also think, and I didn't see this anywhere, but in my mind, it explains why a tank may have been pounded out because it seems as though that could have been a potential attempt to repair the ship in some way to say, oh, or the boat, excuse me, to say, oh, well, let's just see if we can jerry-rig it real quick. Oh, no, that's not working. Okay. Or it's not worth our time or the weather's coming in or whatever. Okay, we'll just leave it. We'll all pile back into this one boat that's Some not damaged. Some kind of makeshift plating yeah, to fill a just hole. just kind of like throw it on the inside of it. And see if we can seal it. it. We hit it in the water. Open, mm-hmm. pop right out. Screw nope. that. We're out of here. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then yeah. you just I don't think go that back. I don't think that would have solved their problem. Though. I don't so think it would have solved their uh, problem either. But, you know, I think that it's a possibility to just be, you know, like on shore kind of like troubleshooting the problem. Then think, map, ne- never mind. All right, well, uh, I'll just pile back into this boat. We'll leave it here. Go on their merry way. But, Nobody reports to Norway or yeah, or whoever, wherever that you know says we landed on this thing and we left a boat here. But you say, oops, before we they, lost a boat. But yeah. before they leave, they they and this is the fundamental clue as to who did it. They drag the boat to that lagoon and they put it in. Right, What's and that? again, that's a practical joke. And this tells us who it was. It was the Russians. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Russians—they had that kind of sense yeah, of humor. That's you know? true. So, and that's you know, again, that comes back to like my biggest problem with this whole story is that whole big question mark that's attached to. I don't, I don't totally 100% know the situation of this lagoon. I mean, truly, all of the geographic maps that I've seen, all of the Google Earth images that I've seen, the Google Earth images that I've seen. I don't know what Google Earth images you were looking at. But I didn't see a single lagoon in any of them. I saw a bunch of kind of, you know, alcoves in the the shore of the island, but I didn't see any lakes or anything like that. And, you know, and I may have just missed it or whatever. So I I don't have a good satisfying answer of is this a landlocked lake, lake lagoon, whatever, or is this just a like a... Inland. An inlet from the sea. No, yeah. it's like um, so there was a somebody actually made a map of that little peninsula, and it showed the location of the lagoon. And then that's what can, I saw. And but... then you'll spot a dark spot on the Google mm-hmm. the Google Earth image. You'll spot in that in, a, in roughly that location. So I guess then we go back to <laughs> um, why is it there? And then well, you know, there's the the fourth theory, which is, of course, that perhaps it never existed. Photoshop. There's, you know, there's I mean, the, seriously, that's what Photoshop. Photoshop. It. it would have been a really good Photoshop 
because there is photographic evidence. It turns out that um, Alan Crawford is the only person to have ever mentioned this. Oh, really? So even yeah. though there were a bunch of them there, that's the only, he's the only person. He's the only person. He wrote a book about it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the scientific survey that went back however, two years later didn't mention it. And again, you know, they, they were studying the lagoon and they said it was shallow, but I don't know how extensive their study. You know, I don't know if they went out to the middle and like stepped in it and said, oh, yeah, it's super shallow. Or if they just said, oh, it looks pretty shallow. It's mm-hmm. probably fine. They threw rocks in it. Yeah. Just like, you know, the deeper it is and work or plonks. Yeah, I have no yeah. idea. Again, there are a lot of big question marks attached to this one, which is, of course, what makes it an unsolved mystery, which is why yeah, of course. we're talking about it. Well, yeah, I, I, I never was able to actually track in on which theory I thought was best. And it's because of the fact that there's one mention. Yeah. If there was documentation in the logs or from other people besides this one guy, and if that initial crew had spent more than 45 freaking minutes yeah. on the island, I could give it more credence, but I don't because... It's just, it's so wishy-washy. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, so that's, you know, an interesting one. And by the way, this was a listener suggestion. It, it was suggested by uh, Tarkin. I probably have just butchered your name. I, <laughs> Sorry, Tarkin. I greatly apologize. Send us an email. Tell us how to yeah, would you give me a pronunciation just, guide? Because I, yeah. I can't figure out how to say your name, but... It was a listener suggestion, and it was a great listener suggestion yeah. because I had actually never heard of the. Again, I you know I keep saying, although at this point I think maybe more times than not I'm saying, oh, I say that I know a lot of unsolved mysteries, but I never heard of this one. I think at this point I need to like shelve that response because at this point, and and you know actually that that remind I feel a bit foolish now as I just realized that the Sarah Joe was also a listener suggestion. Mm-hmm. And oh. for the life of me, I didn't write down who suggested oh. it. I don't remember oh, who it was at the that. moment. <laughs> so, oops. oops. Bad Steve. Oh, so, bad Steve. We'll, we'll figure I it out I guess it's uh, Joe's turn at this yeah. point. Yeah. yeah Unless you guys of, want to talk more about... <laughs> speaking of creepy, scary boat mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So. yeah you, can, you can round us off on creepy, scary boat mysteries. So I'm going to talk about another boat. This one did not end up on an island. Well, I'm talking about, of course, the MV Joyita. The MV, MV standing for, I believe, Merchant Vessel. Uh, also known as the Mary Celeste of the Pacific. This is why you picked this. You love the Mary Celeste. I do. It's his like favorite. Uh, any, any, any ship or boat found, that's like everybody's gone. It's, it's just cool. Uh, before we go any further, this was suggested by Ben, our listener. Um, this was on my radar already because you know, if you go out to the web and you find one of those those web pages that's the ten creepiest, weirdest ghost ships ever, this one's usually on it. With Joyita. Well, so, perfect. Anyway. So this this entire short episode is a listener suggestion. I like this. Yeah. Oh, oh, listener suggestion. I hadn't even I didn't boats. even realize that these were all listener suggestions. Boats, but I like that. Yeah. Boats. Boats. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let, let's get let's get down to our mystery here. Okay. So this takes place. This starts in October 1955. So about 5 a.m. October 3rd, uh, the Joyita Celeste left Samoa, <laughs> uh, bound northbound for the Tokelau Islands, which are, were about uh, 270 miles. Well, still are actually. I don't think they've moved apart, but uh, <laughs> 270 miles away. There were 25 people on board. That included 16 crew and 9 passengers, which I think is a little strange when you think about it. 
That's the first, that's the first part of our mysteries. Why so many crew? On it. This boat was about 70 feet long. That's a mystery. Well, it's, it's all about the money. The, the yeah. owner was trying to get extra cash. By paying his crew? No, <laughs> by by having by having extra passengers to oh, ferry no, no, around. Not, I'm not mystified by the passengers. I'm just wondering why he needed 16 crew. Oh, okay. So I was a captain. The captain's name was quote unquote Dusty Miller, and his first mate. Um, I won't bother with the names because you people are gonna forget him anyway. So, <laughs> so Dusty Miller, his first mate, Mr. Simpson, uh, and a whole bunch of other guys, and nine passengers. Uh, one of the passengers was a doctor who was heading up there to perform an amputation. So he had his little black bag with him. Uh, anyway, so they, again, they steamed, out of the, they steamed out of the harbor in Samoa, and were, the people were, needless to say, never seen again. Are we going to talk about the fact that they left a day late? Oh, yeah, they did leave a little bit late. Not quite a day late. They were going to leave late the, the night before, and then they, they wound up delaying because uh, the clutch went bad on their port side engine. So, so they were running on one engine. Yeah, they wanted to try and find some parts. They couldn't find some parts, and so they decided to leave at the leave at the tide at five a.m. on just one engine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, always a bad idea. And by yeah. the way, another thing that's always a bad idea is just getting on one of these ghost ships to begin with. If somebody says, "Hey, you want to go for a ride on my ghost ship?" You say, <laughs> "No, <laughs> no, Hell no." Okay, so they left on one engine. Uh, her cargo was consisted of uh, yeah, this boat was not just a, a tour boat or anything like that. It was it was a, it was a cargo boat. Uh, her cargo was, was medical supplies, some timber, eighty empty forty-five gallon oil drums. And food, uh, and I, I assume they were taking food up there for resale to the Tokelau Islands, because apparently the Tokelau Islands are even smaller and more isolated than Samoa. It was supposed to take between 41 and 48 hours. In other words, a, a 41-day, 48-hour cruise. We were all off key. We it was the most natural thing we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, wow, okay. Wow, my well, singing career is tanked yeah, now. People don't download our episodes for the singing. That's <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah, so anyway, so the Joyita was scheduled to arrive on October 5th. Of course, they didn't show up. So on October 6th, they sent a message uh, reporting the ship was overdue. The port they were supposed to land the port, in. The port right. that they were supposed to land in okay. reported them overdue. Uh, nobody reported fi- hearing any sort of distress signal from the, from the crew. And there's a reason for this. Turns out their radio antenna had been disconnected. They didn't know about it. Uh, search and rescue mission was launched, uh, and from 6 to 12 October, planes from the New Zealand Air Force searched an area roughly 100,000 square miles of ocean and found no sign of the boat or the people. Five weeks later, November 10th, uh, the merchant ship Tuvalu sighted the Joyita more than 600 miles west of her scheduled route. Uh, that would be somewhat north of, uh, of Fiji, I think northeast of Fiji. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was partially submerged, listing the port. Uh, there was no trace of any of the passengers of, passengers of crew, of course. Uh, four tons of cargo was missing, and uh, they also noted the radio was tuned to 2182 ki- kilohertz, which is the International Marine Radio Telephone Distress Channel. So obviously okay. somebody was trying to get a, a hold of help. Mm. Yeah, it turns out that, uh, and this is discovered later on during the inquiry, is that, is that there was a break in the cable leading to the, uh, the external antenna, and apparently the break had been painted over. At some point, and so it looked like it was intact, but actually, no, it was. They weren't really. Yeah, there were really a lot did. of kind of vippy things going well, on with well, this ship. This was not the most well-maintained ship. Yeah. I mean, um, for you know, like obviously, it's a little risky taking off to sea with only one engine working. Mm-hmm. Although, when, it, when you think about it, I, I guess his plan was that if the starboard engine quit, then he could always dismantle the clutch and fix the the, the port engine clutch. 
and get it working. Yeah, so maybe at that sea, you can make repairs. But there were some other problems, too. Like, for example, they had bilge pumps, like all boats do, and these ones didn't have screens on the ends of their intakes, and so the bilge pumps became clogged. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This was discovered later when they actually got the boat back to port and started examining it. They discovered that the, the cooling intake, the cooling water intake for the sea, for the starboard engine, was a galvanized pipe. It rusted through, and it started leaking. And so this the was, a, was sort of, there was, this was a fairly old ship at this point, right? Nah, yeah, it was like well, it wasn't that ancient. I think it was built in 1931. Yeah, I mean, like I'm not it saying was 20 it was, years old, right? Yeah. 20, I, 25 years and old. And it had at served the in the war. Yeah, it served in World War II. Um, and then yeah, you know, yeah. it had seen some time. Oh, it was yeah. the and sort a of number thing of that owners. Would, yeah, yeah, and that you would expect that perhaps if it were going to continue to operate, that like these things would have been replaced. They would have. You know, it would have been rebuilt or whatever, but that for whatever reason, that mm. those things had been overlooked. Yeah, and it turns out, you know, as we all know now, galvanized pipe used to be the all the rage, and and mm. now we know that it, they, it kind of rusts through. And yeah. so this well, is galvanized and, pipe. And what's sad is when this boat was originally built, it had brass pipe, but at some point in its refitting, I think the U.S. Navy refitted it when they took it over for World War II. Mm-hmm. They stripped the old piping and replaced it with galvanized because galvanized was better. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. Supposedly. Yeah, and so then maybe if they hadn't done that, this might not have happened. Right. Quite possible. Or if they'd put, you know, copper. Or brass. Yeah, copper or brass yeah. back in. Well, we would yeah. have this issue. There were, but, shortage, there were shortages during the war. But that, that wasn't uh, the only no. problem. No. <laughs> no, not, not, not at all the yeah. only problem. When they got the Joyita back to back to harbor and looked, looked her over carefully, they discovered the hull was sound. There, was, there were no holes in that. But they immediately discovered that leaky pipe, mm-hmm. which had rusted through, as we said. Galvanic um, corrosion. Isn't that um, when you've got different ki- types of metal? It within a loop, mm-hmm. and that you know one type of metal, like the offcast from like a copper loop, for instance, right? If you've got copper and galvanized steel, I believe the, so. The yeah. copper corrodes the galvanized steel. The little particles from each of them corrode the other, and mm-hmm. it just kind of becomes. It's this, a weird chemical reaction. Mm, yeah. 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 That's my understanding. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so back to our story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so the crew would not have known about this leak until the water rose above the floorboards of the engine room. So by that time, it was really too late. The, the whole thing is underwater, and getting to it to plug it would have been pretty much impossible. With the leak, right? Yeah, the, getting to the leak yeah. to plug it. Uh, and as, as I noted previously, the bilge pumps were not did not have strainers on their intake, so they got clogged and stopped working. So they kept taking on water. But uh, it's it my understanding of the construction of the hull of the ship, maybe I'm jumping ahead, that it was even more unsinkable than, yeah, it than was. the ship that Steve the was Sarah talking Joe. about. Yeah. yeah, no, it was. The, it was uh, cedar. Well, it was two-inch thick cedar planking, it was what it, which is what and it was built of. And then the hold, uh, at one point, they decided to refrigerate the hold, so they lined it with cork to insulate it. So it was literally unsinkable. Yeah, and also on top of that, as I mentioned previously, they were carrying 80 empty barrels. Which are full of air. They're Mm. full of air, exactly. Mm. So the boat was unsinkable. Now, this is is saying that those those were sealed, Uh and so they would hold the air, not just open. Yeah, yeah. And and I would assume they would have been sealed because they're transporting them for a purpose. I would assume so, too. And they're useless for that purpose without their their plugs. That would be, yeah. And also, just to keep the fumes down in the hold of the boat, you'd want to have them plugged. I would think so, yeah, yeah. So it only makes sense that these things were sealed up. 
But even without that, the boat was still more or less unsinkable. Right. So, and yeah. it was taking on water, but it was unsinkable. Yeah. But okay. nonetheless, it's still a stressful situation. Well, anyway, let me talk a little bit about the damage here, though, the, that, they, that they found. There was damage to the superstructure. The boat had, had had a flying bridge, which apparently had been torn away. Can you, what's a flying bridge? Sorry. It's kind of it's a, like, it's a cabin that's open at the back. Oh, okay. Yeah. And oh, it's on top, yeah. Of, the regular, oh, okay. on top yeah, yeah. of the regular bridge, you know, it's, mm. it's like you see a lot of those and they're for fishing boats and stuff. You get a lot of height and so you can, you can spot the fishies from further away sure, and sure, stuff sure. like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But apparently but, it had But been, it's not, it's not always enclosed. Yeah. I mean, sometimes often, they are, sometimes they aren't, but it's, it's up high. Yeah. Often it's just like a platform with a windscreen and extra mm-hmm. steering station. And then, and then the, the awning over Maybe is a just roof like, for yeah. an awning mm-hmm. for a roof. Yeah. yeah it's, it's open like an awning or something like that. So that had been torn away. Uh, a lot, all, most of the windows had been broken. Uh, somebody had rigged a canvas awning on the top of the deck house behind the bridge, which makes sense. It's hot and you, know, you want to get more shade, I assume. Sure. Uh, an auxiliary pump had been rigged up in the engine room. I'm sorry, between... the canvas awning, was it intact when they found the ship? Or It appears to have been. It was intact. intact. It, wasn't it wasn't like. It wasn't shredded or anything oh, okay. like that. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and yeah. That's, I, there's some images of it, mm-hmm. and you can see that it's still in place. You can see the damage to the, the flying bridge, and it's significant, but it's not as if it was torn away. Yeah, it's it's curious to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it it I just thought that it was worth noting that part of it had been torn away but other parts were undamaged. Yeah. And that that seemed that appeared to be from waves. Sure. Yeah. Heavy it, seas it is, essentially. Yeah, it's a little odd to me that the uh, the temporary awning that they rigged that they had rigged up was more or less intact, mm-hmm. you know, when so much of the damage had been done. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Well, anyway, back to the story here. So they had rigged up an auxiliary pump in the engine room between the two engines, uh, and but it was not connected, which would indicate to me that the starboard engine probably quit right about when they were ready to connect it. Because obviously you're taking Using on water. the engine to run the pump. Yeah, I, I'm assuming that this probably wasn't a power takeoff kind of situation from the engine. It probably was an electric pump, right? And so as long as they had electricity, which they got when the motor was running then they could run that thing. But when the motor stopped running, well, no juice and no auxiliary pump. Sure. So, so yeah, they were kind of hosed. So the, as, I, as I mentioned, the boat was lift, listing, and it was semi-submerged. It was, as you said, you've seen the pictures. It was mm-hmm. listing yeah. very heavily. The barnacle growth on the, on the outside of the hull above the usual waterline showed that it had been, been in that position for a considerable amount of time. At least weeks. Yeah, at least. Barnacles uh, don't grow, like, crazy fast. Um, I don't know. I have no idea how fast they grow. Some well, I mean, it, it took it took a number of weeks about, for them to find the it boat. It was about five weeks before, and they found so the boat. they it was enough growth in that couple of week period for it to mm-hmm. be recognizable. Yeah. So that that gives you some frame of reference of their speed of growth. What else? The they had a dinghy with like a tender, and also what are they what they call Carly life rafts, also called Carly floats. Well, and these are like uh, these are like non inflatable life rafts. The, the military used them, like, in World War II. They're kind of hard plastic? Uh, they're not hard plastic. What they are is is they're, they're, there's a central core that's formed in an oval. And the central core is made up of either a copper tubing or sometimes steel tubing. And mm-hmm. it's, like, 12 to 20 inches in diameter. And it's formed in a big oval, just like a, a regular inflatable life raft would look, right? And then that's covered with cork on the outside for additional buoyancy. And then that's all covered with canvas, which is then sealed with Mm -hmm. paint and stuff like that. And then it's got like a, 
like a mesh floor. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Devin's showing us a picture right Sorry. now. Sorry. So I'm, I'm the Google well, freak. Okay, this, so yeah. if anybody has ever watched, I swear, you've watched Jaws, right? No. Mm-hmm. And there's they, they, they kind of do a, a discussion of when all the guys were floating in those boats and the sharks were coming along. I swear yeah, the, they... The Indianapolis. They, yeah, yeah, and they, re they kind of did a bit of a filming of the scene. It, it, am I confusing that with something else where they showed those boats and they showed how they had the that kind of net flooring to them? Yeah, some of them had like lattice, like wood slat flooring. Yeah. Some of them had a mesh sort of flooring. Okay. That's, that's that's what we're talking about. But there, so they had three of those. All those were missing, which would suggest that they took to the life rafts at some point and abandoned mm -hmm. ship. Uh, but of course, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because, as we all know, the boat was unsinkable. Those and we those, know and and the the Carly life rafts. I'm sorry, excuse me if I'm no. wrong here. But those are the kind of life rafts that are like stored. They inflate. They have the canister attached to them, and they no. only inflate. No, these are these are not inflatable. They're always inflated. Yeah, yeah. And the dinghy as well, always inflated. The, the dinghy was a wooden dinghy, like oh, okay. like like the one that. We so found they weren't on your things island. that that would have only been seaworthy if there was an emergency, like if you inflated them yourself. Mm -hmm. So they could have just been washed off if there had been bad. They, I, I'm assuming they were pretty pretty carefully lashed down, but they sure. could have been they could have been broken loose and washed okay. off. But okay. Yeah. I would say Sorry. that somebody somebody took them either to, to abandoned ship or mm -hmm. somebody else came along maybe after the fact found the, the boat floating and right. thought, well, you know, with yeah, them. yeah, we'll just, and, we'll and just life vests? grab a few things. They had not enough life vests okay. for everybody. They had them, but not enough for Sorry, everybody. Sorry, I may have been googling while we just covered. That. Oh, you were, huh? Sorry. Yeah. Let's see what other mysterious things. The starboard engine was covered by a map. Mattress. That's um, so weird. Well, yeah, one of the theories about that is that the um, as the water level was creeping up, the, the flywheel and the, and the belt on the, on the starboard engine was flinging up water onto the electrical panel, and they might have wanted to cover it so that it stopped wetting down the electric panel. So that's one possibility. But a, a mattress, like they didn't have Well, you're not, thick, you're not, yeah, and you're not, th oh, that's probably the closest thing that they had. Uh, but, the, you know, a mattress. Especially if like a, it's full of water already. Mm. Yeah, you're thinking of like a Sealy Posturepedic, and I'm not talking, this is like a sea mattress. Like the oh, no, that's, I've that's the one that's a couple of, couple of feet wide yeah. and six feet long. And no, I've lived on one of those for a while. Thick. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, it's one of those, one of those guys. I just, it's still weird to me that that would be what they would use. But, I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as I said, the, the radio was uh, was disabled, uh, and so they, it's estimated the range of the radio was about two miles, and so they were broadcasting a distress signal, undoubtedly. That nobody were, could hear. That nobody yeah. heard, yeah. Quite sad. The electric clocks on board had stopped at 1025, switches for the cabin lighting, and the navigation lights were on, which indicates that power finally was lost at night. Mm. And there's, I, I, I'm not sure if I believe this. What I, what I heard in the standard accounts is that the... Everything was wired directly into the, into the ship's generator, the lights and the clocks and everything. But I can't. I find that hard to believe. Why? You'd wire. You'd wire them to the batteries. For example, do you want your clock shutting off every time you turn the engine off? Oh. Yeah. It, it should go to the battery. And and same. I mean, the same thing with the lights. You should have the capability of running your nav lights even if your engine's out. Sure. So, All right, so, that that's just, fair. Yeah. so a lot of people have said, oh, this indicates that whatever cataclysm happened to them happened mm -hmm. at night. Not necessarily. It just means the battery finally ran down at night. Sure. So that's all it means. Although the lights switched on does indicate something happening at night, right? You you mm. don't turn the lights on if it's broad daylight. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, we have the lights on at night. So sure. they, obviously they, they finally lost all their juice sometime at night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see what else. The logbook, the sextant, their chronometer, uh, and also Dusty Miller, the captain, kept a few guns on board. Uh, all that stuff was gone. And they also found the doctor. Remember I said there was a doctor on yeah, board? Yeah. yeah, they found his bag on the deck, and it had a stethoscope and a scalpel and some blood-stained bandages. And that was huh. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what happened to the rest of his stuff. Maybe it got washed overboard. If you're going to go perform uh, an amputation, you would think you'd need more than a scalpel. Unless you're, unless you're, unless you're like expecting them to have that uh, on site. Oh, well, maybe, yeah. You'd think it'd have more of a doctor's bag than a stethoscope and a scalpel, though. I thought part of the cargo were medical supplies. Yeah, so they you were would just supplies. keep smaller medical supplies in your bag. It could be that he had stowed some crate. of that stuff in the supplies. Yeah, or something. Yeah, I know. Like it's, it's entirely possible. But still, I mean, you, know, you don't you, really, like a bone saw doesn't really actually fit. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you still think you've seen those black doctor's bags. You mm-hmm. can fit a lot more in the stethoscope and a scalpel in there. Mm-hmm. Six. I mean, so anyway, and I, I would necessarily at least... don't really keep blood stained bandages. No, you not usually necessarily. Keep clean ones. Yeah, yeah. Just throw Maybe that he out was there. into recycling. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. And last of all, there was fuel in her tanks, uh, and they calculated from the amount that had been used that she had gone about two hundred forty three miles before. The engine shut down. That was, that was probably roughly 50 miles short of their destination of Tokelau. Ugh. Yeah, I know, I know. So the leak had probably started about 9 p.m. or so on the second night of the trip. Yeah, so. so I guess the thing, like, okay, and I, I, I've been really pushing against doing this all night. This whole, like, well, I lived on a ship for six months, so I know everything about... Well, you are uh, a resident nautical expert. I am. But one of the things, you know, and I I don't know in situations like this, how long the 16 crew members had been with this ship or how Mm -hmm. often they did this run or anything like that. You know, we did a run fairly frequently. And one of the things, like, within the first week they drill into your brain is, like, assuming we're going at our normal speed... This is about where we are at any given time. And in your cabin, you have a little map of that. So if you wake up and the ship isn't moving, and like for whatever reason, the it's, it's a huge ship, right? It's not like this is going to happen to me, like definitely not part of the captain's circle. You know, I don't work on the bridge, anything like that. But if, like, the first mate woke up and was like, wow, that's super weird, we're not moving anymore, and walked onto the bridge, and mysteriously everybody was dead or something, mm-hmm. you know, super suspension of disbelief story, that person could say, all right, it's about this time. We are probably about this distance away from the closest landmass. I can know that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, for them to say, well, they are about 50 miles away from their destination, assuming that they had done this run a couple of times, the thing that like gets me is that like they were super close, like 50 miles away from your destination is mm-hmm. like close enough to abandon ship and paddle your way over there. Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah, and that's uh, it, you know definitely is. And that's I mean, the I, thing that like again, you know, like I don't know how strong the currents were in that neighborhood. Sure, of course, but and and that's the other thing is that but just that it would be like hopefully the crew would know that right so like in the situation that a captain had had something horrible happen to him or a first mate or a bunch of the crew had had something horrible to happen to them if even one of the crew members had survived whatever horrible thing happened that they would know okay we're only 50 50 miles out Mm. we've got a compass and some paddles let's go there's no reason like uh 
there's no reason they couldn't have taken some of that cloth that was for that makeshift awning over mm-hmm. the that they could have you know, made, a sale, made a sale. Out of it. Right. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know that's my thing with the like. We're, we're, they were really close. Yeah, they were close. They were yeah. close. So there was an inquiry, an official maritime inquiry to the whole thing, and their conclusion was that the fact that the passengers and crew were gone was, quote, inexplicable, unquote. Uh, the life rafts and, and the dinghy were missing, but it didn't make any sense, and it was obvious to the people that did this inquiry that it made no sense to abandon ship, given that it was unsinkable. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I mean, before I abandoned ship and got into a lifeboat, uh, it it would have to be a lot lower in the water than the Joyita was. Right. I, I go back to my, what we were just talking about, right? And that, like, it's drilled into your head that, like, the only time that you leave a ship is when you are 100% sure that that ship is sinking. Yeah. It's got to be like your ankles are upon, in the water. Which has then got to be based upon the knowledge of the people who were involved, which I think is where Joe's going to go. I hope. Because mm-hmm. I, well, I know that that's part of the theories as well, to why that might have happened. one of the right. theories. Yeah, one of the theories is the... the I'll just go through the theories now. And this is one of the, one popular theory is uh, the Captain Down theory, which is, means that he was disabled or dead. This theory goes that uh, he was aware that it, it couldn't sink, so he would have told the passengers that there was no danger and everybody mm. would have stayed on board. So the theory is that he must have been incapacitated and people panicked and took to the life rafts because he was incapacitated. Uh, and as a variant in this theory, there's a, there was a rumor that there was tension between the captain and his first mate. And so in, in this theory, they had a fight and one or both fell overboard and the rest of the, crews and the pa- crew and the passengers took to the lifeboats. I think you're probably going here, but like, uh, yeah. there's no way that those were the only two people on the ship who knew that about the Well, boat, exactly. Right? Of course. You know, you know, at, at least the first mate and probably at least several of the members of the crew were aware that of all the cork on board, the cedar planking, yeah. the 80 barrels. I mean, and so even if the captain was down, uh, and you know, they still would know the boat's not going to sink. And secondly, as I said, no sensible person would abandon ship until it's absolutely for sure about to go under. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that, that would be that would be my criteria. Right. Uh, another popular theory at the time was that the Japanese did it. There are two oh. variants on this one. One is that... I hate this theory. This is so bad. Yeah, it's yeah. lame. It's, it's pretty lame. Uh, they were passing... The Joyita was had passed through a Japanese fishing fleet. They saw something they weren't supposed to see, and apparently so everybody was murdered. And I don't know what they were not supposed to see. Maybe they were using an illegal lure. I don't know. But <laughs> this is like... And they quoted... This is from the Fiji Times and Herald. Uh, they said that this was from an quote-unquote impeccable source, but... Uh, and they produced no further evidence, so so much for that. Of I, course. And, well, we did, but, there was there was and there was further ado about this when something about some ma- Japanese knives were found on the boat. Yeah, yeah, they found uh, below decks in the boat. They found some knives that were stamped made in Japan. Uh, but of course, if they said made in Japan in English, that means they were made for export to you know English speaking countries. Very true. <laughs> you know, so Japanese yeah. people aren't going to be carrying them. Right. Uh, another variant is that they were like there were Japanese soldiers who were. On the, some island or another, who wasn't weren't aware that the war had ended, so they were, so they went out in a boat and just bushwhacked people and, and randomly killed them. And yep, yeah, yeah, continuing but, but course, the war effort makes sense. Yeah, but of course, the problem with this is there. It seems like there would have been a lot of people in the area who disappearing. That didn't happen. Uh, another theory. Let's move right along. Ivan, good old Ivan, the Ruskies. Yep, that's right. They were abducted by the crew of a Soviet sub. That's outlandish. Do you want to go further into that theory? No, no, because yeah. we've we've debated no. being abducted by a the crew of a submarine in multiple stories. Yeah, we have done that. 
And I, 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 we've we've never found any. I think that's solid one of our reasoning. favorite theories, even. That's fun. Yeah, no, it's well, one of our funnest. But I think we might have literally chewed the fat off the bone on that one. Oh yeah, but and, and why submarine crews would want to go around uh, abducting crowds of people is beyond me because to it's cram already, them it's in already the hole crowded. Their boat. Yeah, it's and already yeah. crowded. Give down them below their there. food and water. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no. Nah, I don't think so. Okay, next theory: uh, pirates. They threw Arr. everybody overboard and they took all the valuables. Or possibly they, they came on board and put everybody in the life rafts and said sayonara, and then they took off with the boat, which they didn't know at the time was taking on water. And, yeah, that's even. Yeah. And then it broke away. Yeah. Or they cut it loose. Yeah. But yeah, I would, I bet, you know, and the reason that people are thinking that is because four tons of cargo was missing. And they don't say what four tons, if it was the, if it was the medical supplies, the timber, or what. was, Or if it was the, the containers that were empty. Mm. I don't know why anybody would take those. But, but, but I can see if the boat is listing and the hatch pops open. They just and, pop out and float away. Yeah, I can just see stuff bloop, 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 floating bloop. away. Maybe. Uh, it Maybe. depends on how well secured they were. And then, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants is going, woohoo, I got a container. Yeah, but those things didn't. I mean, 80 of those things aren't going to weigh four tons. So they're not going to weigh much of anything. I'm just saying, yeah. just things in general may have come out. So they might have actually, Maybe. but you know, it just it just depends on how small they are because the the boat was listing over far enough that water was actually coming into the top hatch that you use to access the hole the mm-hmm. of the boat. Which, as far as I know, is the only way to access the hold is through the is through the deck. See, I didn't look yeah. any any kind of drawings of the actual boat. I yeah. couldn't. I didn't see those. Yeah, and so the uh, so and large items weren't about to float out through those hatches. But uh, yeah, something small could have. I mean, barrels could have. Sure, yeah. but not that many probably. Again, because so many things were missing, like the guns and you know the navigational equipment and four tons of cargo, people immediately went to pirates and. And actually, this is not as this doesn't, doesn't suck as bad a lot of, as a lot of the other theories. It's possible piracy does exist. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so the reason I think that they didn't just like there's no reason to just kill everybody on the boat if all you want to do is pilfer take their stuff. Mm-hmm. Number one, if you wanted to do the more rational thing as a pirate and take the entire boat, which is what I would do, then you put well, them all on the life raft. Well, we talked about it earlier. Yeah, you put them all on the life raft, and you and then you you take off with the boat. Later on, when you discover the boat. Is, is taking on water, you, of course, being a pirate, you don't know that this boat can't sink. So you radio your buddies in the other boat that brought you there originally. They, they, you meet, you, you get off, you take what you can, and you, you take off, believing the boat's going to sink, which it didn't do. The, 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 the stake I'm going to stick in the heart of this theory is that the radio was tuned to the distress channel. So if they were using it to communicate with their buddies in the other boat, it would have been tuned to a different channel. Yeah. Yeah. So they couldn't have taken the Unless boat. Unless they had and hand then, radios. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if hand radios were that common back in those days. So uh-huh. This is 1955. That's yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a super oh, common okay, thing. Okay, fine. Yeah. So I, so that's why I think. I mean, I, I could be wrong. They could have had other methods of signaling their buddies too. But what I, else do we have here in in terms of these uh, these fun theories? Well, another fun theory: uh, insurance fraud. Captain Dusty Miller had serious debts because he'd had several failed fishing expeditions, and that had left him in debt. But he didn't well, he didn't own the boat, did yeah, he? Yeah, he didn't own the boat. He was leasing the boat. Yeah. yeah. So that's dumb. Mm-hmm. But that explains why he was taking on passengers because he was trying to get as much money as he could out of every run. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I believe yeah. that the inquiry that you talked about had found that he had lost or let lapse yeah, his license his... to have passengers on the boat. Yeah, they actually found quite a bit of fault with him for the the, the condition of his yeah, boat. Yeah, he made for a leaving... lot of, of yeah, mistakes. For, for so this was kind of a 1955 engine. version of like a Firefly. Kind of. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. But but yeah. So he didn't own the boat. He knew the boat couldn't sink, for God's sakes. So if he'd wanted to like uh, turn in a claim for insurance, he would have lit it on fire. He wouldn't have done it with twenty four other people on the boat. Uh, did you know? Did I? Mean? I uh, uh, okay. I swear that I've seen somewhere talk of the fact that the seacocks were open. No, they were not open. And that's I was yeah, going to say is open. that I I'd seen theories that the that they were going to scuttle it and the seacocks were open for insurance reasons. Uh-huh. But I don't remember in the official inquiry anything about that. So the no. seacocks were never open my, to let this thing fly. Yeah, yeah they, they discovered that which they were not open. Which would be stupid cuz the thing still wouldn't sink. Well, right? exactly. So it makes like I said, he would have torched it rather okay. than trying to sink it. That would have been the, the, the obvious thing to do. All right. All right, so I'm done with that one. On to the next one, mutiny. So in this theory, uh, the boat encountered heavy weather. The crew wanted to turn around. The captain refused because, he, you know, again, he was in debt and desperate for cash. He didn't want to lose any money, so he wanted to keep on going. And also, if they were actually truly within 50, feet, 50 miles of their destination, then there's no, there's no sane reason to turn around rather than just continuing to go. Yeah, there. that doesn't make any sense. But under this one, that, so the crew, when, when he wouldn't turn around, they mutinied, and there was a, there was, blows were traded. The captain was either killed or knocked unconscious. Right about then, the starboard engine stopped running, and everybody took off for the lifeboats because, remember, only the captain knew that the boat was unsinkable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and taking the captain and, and, of course, the navigational equipment, which you'd need if you're going to be floating in a lifeboat. So they abandoned ship in heavy seas, i.e. storms, uh, to take to a bunch of flimsy life rafts, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Nope. Yeah, yeah. So, and it doesn't make sense that the crew would be wanting to turn around when they were that close to their destination. All right, so we put that one, to, put that theory to rest. About the only one that's held any water so far has been the pirate one. Ah, and even the pirate one is I'm afraid, great. I really, I hate the pirate theory, but it really is the only one that makes sense is so there, far. Is there something uh, more? Because I think that... No, we can talk a little bit more. Another theory is, uh, this is mine, that they didn't abandon ship, at least not right away. So, because they had food on board. They were, part of their cargo was food right. for, for the Tokelau. The, the, the boat had, behind, besides a 3,000-gallon diesel fuel tank or tanks, it also had 25 gallons, 2,500 gallons of water. Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't know that that tank was completely full. Maybe it not. might not have been full when it left port. It might have not been, have been, but it should have had a substantial amount of water. Potable water. Yeah, it should have had a fair amount of that. Um, uh, so they, the official inquiry, and I, I'm so sorry I was not able to get a copy of this because it, it would have been nice to, to get that information. But They mentioned the amount of fuel left in the, in the tanks, but they don't say how much water was left in the water tank. Potable water, or yeah. nor do they say how much black water well, or exactly. gray water there was. Exactly. So if the, if the water tank was empty, that would be a big clue. What that would mean is they, they stayed with the boat until they ran out of water. And if the black water tank was all full of, well, you know what, mm-hmm. then it was all, all full, then, uh, and I don't know what boats in those days did. I assume they had black water tanks. And then didn't just flush it directly. I don't to know. Sea. It was the fifties. They might. Yeah, have. they might have. But well, I assume. And the other problem is, is that if if the battery is dead, I've been on yeah. How let's you... say a houseboat, yeah. and I push the knob, and I hear the little electric pump turn on, and it spits out water. Mm-hmm. But if that's not going, uh-huh. how do I get the water out yeah. of the big holding tank? Yeah, you well, that's not. that's a question. You know, I mean, I I, I would assume that they had uh, some sort of pump like manual pump backup for that you would, would, think. would think but of course you know given the state of the boat maybe not maybe that right. wasn't working and i guess since this is your theory do you have an explanation for the list for the, the list ship? uh yeah actually i think that it's possible 
quite possible that the crew actually induced the list on their own hmm. because the starboard engine, remember, is the one they needed to get running again. And so, oh. and it's a port side list. So how would you induce a list? Well, you remove, say, four tons of cargo mm -hmm. from the starboard side of the ship mm -hmm. and throw it overboard. And your boat to starts listing. To try and listing. get something out of to the starboard engine. To try to pull the starboard engine, engine out of the water. And or so, make it run or whatever. Yeah. Uh -huh. Apparently, that makes sense to me, actually. It's a lot of sense. It's yeah. logical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so anyway, uh, apparently they didn't succeed because if, if they had, they would have immediately hooked up that auxiliary pump that they had rigged up ready to go. This still doesn't explain why they left because even if you've run out of food and run out of water, you're still better off on the big boat than being on a life raft. Your profile yeah. is higher. You're more likely to be spotted. Mm -hmm. you're, you've got shelter from the elements, which you don't really have on, yeah. on a raft. So the only reason I can think of that they would, they would leave is if they, if they spotted an island that they weren't too far away from. They might have decided to make a break for it. If they're all out of food and water, or if they're really low on that stuff, if you go to an island, at least there's going to be like birds and fish that you can kill and eat and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't abandon the boat because they thought the boat was going to sink. Yeah. But they might have abandoned the boat because they were they were starving and out of water. Yeah. And they figured, you know, what the and hell. And it was wait. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was five weeks after they went missing that, that they that found the boat it. Was, that the boat was found. Twenty five yeah. people. How much? How much does the average person drink? About a gallon a day, I think. A gallon a day. Yeah. You don't so, need a gallon a day to survive, though. Okay, but yeah. about a gallon a day, the average person drinks. So that's 25 a day by five weeks. It comes out to how many days? Uh, 25. Let's say, so let's, let's assume they're drinking a full gallon. So that's that's 25 by five weeks, which is 35. I, that, nobody knows what that number is. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say if it was a 25,000-gallon tank, right? 2,500. 2,500, right? Assuming it was full, that means that they had 10 days of drinking water. Assuming mm. they drank a gallon a day. Yeah. No, if it's 25, okay. they would have 100 days. Wait, 2,500 gallons by 25 people mm -hmm. is 100 gallons. 100, oh, right. 100 gallons per person. Per so. person, which yeah. means they could have theoretically gone 100, 100 days. days if the tank was full. Mm. And they were Which, only drinking a gallon a day. Uh, the, yeah, and, and of course, the, you know, the tank was probably not full. Probably wasn't full. So and they could not. get it all. At half full, yeah. it's 50 days. At a quarter full, it's 25 days. So we're now running into that gray area of, let's say it was half or a quarter full when they left port. That would explain why they were out of water and would have wanted to leave because yeah. they had nothing left. But then again, if you're on a boat, boats, got, and we talked about this before, there's tons of plastic, so you would think that you could use evaporation to make drinkable, potable water. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. But who knows what the circumstance was? We're also assuming that, you know, the nine passengers didn't get seasick and there wasn't any kind of... Going nuts. Anything, you know, yeah. that's, and that's a fairly large assumption as well. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and there would have been other uses for the water, obviously. You're going to need to use a little bit of water to wash up occasionally and things like mm -hmm. that. If you do get seasick and you barf, you're going to want to wash your face probably, yeah. rinse your mouth out. Mm -hmm. so, and you need to be hydrated more. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I have no idea if... After the search, after the discovery of this, if they went along and checked, I checked on Wikipedia, uh, and in the South Pacific, there are roughly twenty to 30,000 islands yeah. in there. You know, a lot of them just specks, like the, the islands that we've been talking about mm -hmm. earlier. So I, I don't know if anybody thought to go back and check any small islands that were sort of along the course. Full of a party of, of bones. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, I think they probably made a break for an island. Yeah. 
Well, I I don't know, and I think that's the problem with all of these stories is that they there's just very little information apart from the start and the finish to really know what's going on. Agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, as always, ladies and gentlemen. All of our shows and all of the links to the stories that we've been talking about tonight, as with all episodes, are going to be on our website. The website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. Uh, you're probably, uh, most a lot of folks are listening to us through iTunes. If you're listening to iTunes, please remember to take the time to subscribe and leave a rating. Uh, if you're listening to another venue, that's awesome. That's great. We really appreciate that. If you forget to download an episode and you realize you know one's come out because we try to put them out on the same day every week, you can go ahead and pull that from Stitcher. You can listen to it streaming from any mobile-ready device. You can always find us on Facebook, so we put up a lot of stuff on Facebook. We've got the group as well as the page for everybody to, to talk and discuss and the interesting things that we find. You have a theory for us that we forgot or you've got thoughts or comments. We've got a lot of great feedback lately. Uh, if you've got something you want to say to us, you can always send us an email. That email address is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and by the way, if you were one of the passengers on the Julieta or one of the crew, we'd like to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. Or the Sarah Joe or the random boat that we don't know the name of mm, on, on Bouvet Island. Island. Yeah. yeah, if you're a resident Bouvet Island, which is inhospitable to anything but sea elephants, please let, let us, us know. know. Uh, well, that having been said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the, this short has gone on a little longer than a short, so Oops. we're going to go ahead and, uh, yeah, we've got long shorts, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to sign this one off. Thanks again for taking the time to listen, and we will talk to you next week. Toodaloo, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.